So please be opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. The difficulty when I felt led by God to do this series some months ago on calling was deciding which calling texts to use and which ones not to use because there are so many. But we've only got two more in this series after today. The rest will have to wait for another time. We'll talk next week about the rich young ruler who said no to the call of God. And we'll close with the call of Paul. But I knew I was going to have to do Luke chapter 5 because it's one of my favorite chapters. The story of the great catch of fish. It seems like there are more stories about fishing than maybe any other sport beside golf. Maybe you heard this one. A guy is walking away from a lake and he's got two buckets full of nice sized fish. But a game warden spots him and says, sir, do you have a license to fish in this state? The man says, no. And the warden says, then, sir, you're in some big trouble. The man says, no, I'm not, because these are my pet fish. He said, what? He says, yeah, my pet fish. I bring them down every night to the lake, let them out. They swim around a little while. I call them. They hop back in the bucket. I take them home. He said, you're making that up. He says, no, watch. I'll come show you. He said, i got to see this. So he takes them down to the lake, lets the fish out of the buckets into the lake. They swim off. And the warden says, so when are you going to call them back? He said, call what back? The fish. He said, what fish? (laughs) Because when it comes to catching fish, people can get very creative. And, for that matter, so can Jesus. There are some very interesting fish stories in the life of Jesus. Luke 5 is one of them. If you've ever been fishing with Jesus... You probably need to expect a follow-up call. So verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, maybe I've just assumed it was an obvious thing, but I want to take a moment in this series on calling to make a point, And that is, the call to follow is personal. 
And I hope you've noticed that. that Jesus doesn't call schools. He doesn't call organizations. In fact, despite what some well-meaning Christians think, He doesn't call governments to get His work done. He calls people. And the call is not so much what He will do for them. Now, that's often how we present the call. Hey, follow Jesus and He'll do this and He'll do this and He'll do this for you. But when Jesus issued the call, it wasn't a call, follow me because of what I will do for you. But He said, follow me because of what I will do to you. I intend to change you so that I can use you to change the world. I will make you Fishers of men. It's a personal call to enter into training with Jesus for the mission of God. Which, side note, it seems to me sometimes we get that backwards. We send people off to seminary to train for ministry and they haven't even gotten a call. They're training for a career, not a calling. Jesus called and then trained. And notice what he does here because essentially the catch of the fish was an acted out parable for what he was calling them to do with their lives. Think about this. Jesus wants to show he's got miraculous power. He'd make fish jump up on the shore. If this is just about catching fish for supper, he would have had the fish flop up on the shore. And you could just walk over there and pick them up. He still wants them involved. He is going to harness the authority of His supernatural Word to their availability as personal followers. So He says, get back in the boat and go back out into the lake. Because He's going to teach them that what you're about to do with fish is what you're going to do with the rest of your lives. Make yourself available for the power of My Word to work in your life. Now, here's... The thing, I don't know that Jesus has any other plan. In fact, it was the 15th century, the first Scott, a man named Erasmus was the first preacher to use this illustration. I've heard it since. That Jesus goes back to heaven and the angels gather around. He tells them all about his life on earth, his miracles, his preaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And the angels say, and now what, Lord? And Jesus says, I have trained 11 men. And they will go around the world and they will tell about my love and what God has done for them. And one of the angels says, but Lord, what if they fail? What's the backup plan? And Jesus replies, there is no other plan. See, His Lordship is universal. His mission is essential. His power is supernatural. But the call is always personal. Will you make yourself available to be vehicles for the supernatural expression of my word through your life? Later, Mark says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. And that verse intrigues me. Because I want to ask myself, am I somebody Jesus would want? Who does Jesus want enough to extend a follow-up call? Well, we're going to explore that by asking 
four questions of our text. And here's the first. Will I dispense of good sense? Now, I'm not against good sense. If good sense was a bad thing, we wouldn't have a book in the Bible called Proverbs. But more important than good sense is obedience. Because sometimes God's call doesn't make sense when you first get it. For example, if there's anything Peter knows, it's fishing on the lake of Gennesaret. He's done it most of his life. And even today, if you were to go see the Sea of Galilee, you'd be stunned at how clear the water is. That's why you fish at night. If you fish in the day, the fish see the net and they swim away from it. You fish at night when it's dark and they can't see the net. And that's when you can hope to catch something. So Peter says to a carpenter, as an expert fisherman, Lord, we worked hard all night in optimum conditions. We fished. And caught nothing. But then, Peter allowed obedience to trump sins. And he displayed what I call a B-Y-S-S-I-W spirit. Here's what Jesus is looking for. B-Y-S-S-I-W stands for, because you say so, I will. Master, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And if you have a B-Y-S-S-I-W spirit, you can expect a follow-up call. You can also expect that some people aren't going to get it. They're going to criticize you. They're going to misinterpret. They might even oppose you because they're going to champion Good sense. Parker Palmer tells a story about a friend of his that worked for years at this Christian ministry in the inner city of New York helping the poor. And she had been there for years. And he says to her one day, I don't get it. What difference are you making? It seems to me the problem of poverty in the city is just getting worse. This is impossible. Why do you keep doing it? And she said to him, the thing you don't understand is that just because something is impossible doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. God's calls are not about making sense. They're about being obedient. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, God speaks about his servant. He says, I even I have spoken. Yes, I've called him. Now bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. See, the called go to places that sense would say to ignore because they have a sense from the Holy Spirit that obedience to the authority of Christ always opens up new and exciting possibilities that never before have been in existence. So it's a good question when you get a call from God. Can you dispense... Of good sense. Here's another question to ask yourself. Will I direct or deflect glory due to Christ? Because you know 
that as Peter was hauling in all those fish, somebody ran up to the shore, missing the whole scene before, shouting, You the man, Peter! You the man! But the called understand they're used in spite of their inadequacies, not because of their competencies. The first thing Peter did was fall on his face and say, Lord, you need to leave. I'm much too sinful to be a part of what you're doing. See, you get a follow-up call not because you're good, but because Jesus is. Look with me at 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. It's not about your glory. And it's not about your goodness. It's about His. And I want to tell you, I honestly believe many people today are appointed in ministry, but they're not anointed in ministry. Because God opposes the proud. He will not bless that which deflects glory from Himself. And so, I'll just share with you, I don't think I've ever told you this before, but I've gotten a few interesting phone calls the last few years from preachers. They always tell me, this is who I am, this is where I preach, this is the city and the state I live in, this is the name of my church, and here's my problem. My church needs the message that you preach at Richmond Hills. We've got a long history of legalism and bondage. We need to learn about the Spirit. We need to learn about the grace of God. But my church has heard some bad things about you and your church. I would like to preach your sermons. But if I tell them they're your sermons, they won't listen. If I don't tell them, they'll listen and think it's great and grow. Is it okay with you if I preach your sermons and don't tell people where I got them? And the answer is always, of course it is. Because it's not about my glory and my goodness. The called live for the exaltation of Jesus' name, not the promotion of their own. And when people come along and point to a full net, a called man or woman is going to point to a good God. That's a good question. Do you direct or deflect the glory that's supposed to go to God? Here's question number three. Will I yearn for more than I've done before? Now I'm going to tell you one of my fishing stories. About the age of uh, entering high school, my dad got the whole family to play golf. But before those days, before golf became my main hobby, my main hobby was fishing. Because my grandfather and grandmother loved to fish, my father's parents. My grandmother, from the earliest memory I have of her, was short and plump and had blue hair. And she wore a dress with hose every single moment of every single day of the year. Unless it was fishing day. She had one pair of denim capris. And if she ever put them on, I got excited. We're going fishing. Grandpa had bought this little place on this lake in East Texas. And he'd put up what we called it the cabin. It didn't have running water. It didn't have a bathroom. It was basically a glorified tent. 
But we would go there and we would fish. And Grandma would take me, and they had a dock, and she, we had two cane poles. And she taught me how to put a worm on a hook and put the bobber in the water. And you could hold that cane pole off that dock, and you could catch all the little bitty perch you wanted to catch. A hundred a day. And I would get so excited and I'd take those fish off the hook and I'd take them and I'd put them in the basket and we'd fill that basket up with little fish this long. I didn't know that later that night Grandpa would come out there and pour the whole basket back into the lake because all those fish were good for was trot line bait. But I was fishing with Grandma one day. I got my cane pole in the water. And Grandpa came down that afternoon. He closed the service station a little early and he was on another dock just beside us. And he had a rod, and he was doing this. He put a plastic worm on his hook, and he would throw it out there, and he'd reel it back. And he'd throw it out there, and he'd reel it back. And then all of a sudden, he shouted, Ricky, come here. So I ran off my dock, ran up to his dock. He put that rod in my hand, and it vibrated. He said, reel it in. And it was hard, because something was fighting, and the water started exploding and splashing And after a couple of minutes, I pulled up a bass about that big. I'd never seen a fish that big in my life. My eyes were almost that big. I never fished with a cane pole again. (laughs) Because that day, Grandpa gave me a grander vision. Of what I could do with my life. That's what happened that day by the lake. Do you remember the day when you grasped a bigger vision for living than most people see? Because the great seduction of life is to settle for perch. The great seduction of life is to get a job and to try to stay healthy and hope you retire and live as long as you can and stay out of jail and someday die. Jesus' follow-up call is for people who are wanting more. More than just a nice career. A nice career is fine, but a career is what you're paid for. A calling is what... You're made for. And don't hear me say that that means that you need to go and change your job. Most of you, to answer the call of God, don't need to change your occupation, but you probably need to change your preoccupation. It's about more than how many perch you can put in a basket. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus delivers a man who was filled with demons. And the man is grateful as he ought to be. And we read these words. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So he went away. He told all over the town how much Jesus had done for you. That's what most of you are going to do when you answer your call. You're going to go back to your town and to your neighborhood and to your job, but you're not going to go back the same. It's kind of like, remember when Jesus is preaching in Peter's boat? The place where Peter did his work became the place where Jesus could do his work. The question is, are you going to just settle 
Or are you looking for a battle worth dying for and spending your life on? Sir Francis Drake, trying to recruit young men to go on one of his expeditions, said to them, You will see white sandy beaches. You will taste fruits you've never imagined. You will see gorgeous landscapes if you come. But nobody signed up. The next time he went to recruit, he said, You will face storms more fierce than you've ever imagined. We'll be blown off course. You will go days wishing you could find one glass of fresh water. We will face winds and challenges. And if you survive, you will see things that will be worth more than you could ever have imagined. And he filled up his boat. Jesus is offering a cause that will change us and through us help change the world. And they couldn't resist. They would drop everything to sign up for this. A little bit later in the exact same chapter, he comes up to a tax collector named Levi and says, come follow me. He says he got up, he left everything and followed him, which Leads to the last question. Will I give up in order to gain? The grander vision is always the costlier vision. Always. It's precisely why a lot of people hang up. We'll see it next week. A very outstanding moral young man is going to come up to Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, come come follow me. Come spend your life on something bigger than you've ever been a part of. Drop everything. Leave everything behind. And he's going to decide to settle. Not every call is going to ask you to leave home. But every call is going to ask you to leave every rival for Jesus' affection. And so later in Luke 14, Jesus is going to say, Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. The call is for those who are eager to be a part of something that is going to expect much. But deliver more. That's why the Northams are willing to do what they're about to do. To give up everything that most would say makes sense. For a call that most would say makes none. I'd like you just one more time to hear their hearts. So watch the screen above, please. Well, um, it started back with the 2020 vision, you know, one of the, um, the goals of that from the ends of the earth perspective was to send out 300 missionaries from within the congregation. A few, I guess uh, maybe a few weeks or a couple months later on Wednesday night, they did a big um, presentation on what they were going to call missionary specialists. And... Uh, you know, it was basically what, what they had said before is that, uh, you know, you, you go and do what you do in a foreign setting to do the Lord's work. And they had had um, some cards that we could fill out if we were interested in uh, 
and you know pursuing that further or just you know making ourselves available um, for that and that Wednesday night Stephanie happened to be teaching a Bible class and she wasn't there and I was in there so I filled out a card and he told me about it on the way home and I just kind of laughed and, and <laughs> well that's nice and then we didn't really think about it again after that um, until a couple of months after that um, we received an email from the missions committee asking us um, to consider going to Mbali, Uganda because there was a, a definite need for a graphic artist on that team and so um, our initial response was one of shock because we hadn't really thought much about it since Darren filled out that card. And so we, um, we didn't want to respond out of, immediately out of excitement, this would be great, this would be a fun thing for our family to do. Um, but we also didn't want to respond out of fear and say no because, you know, what would we be thinking? I was pregnant at the time with our third child. And the idea of, you know, picking up our whole family and moving to Africa could, you know, kind of be a little scary thing. So we just, we spent a lot of time um, individually and together just praying and, you know, really with open minds and open hearts, not knowing what the answer would be. Just if asking if this was really what God had planned for us if it, or if it was just something that, that sounded neat that we were planning ever since it started we just knew that there was definitely a tug and God was just kind of speaking to us and and sometimes I remember praying through it and and God was saying now I want you in Africa I mean I specifically remember hearing his voice on several occasions actually speaking to my heart about that um, but it was it was when we were on the survey trip when we when we actually got to go to Mbali where when we were there that was that was definitely a time of reaffirming from the Lord that that um, that He was indeed calling us there to that place, to that team, to that work, and um, and to be a part of the vision with the, with the Livingstone International University. There was the temptation to not persist and to just say, you know what, the door's been closed. We might as well just forget about it and, and go on with our lives. Yeah, and, we tried. Yeah, we tried to do that. <laughs> it and, didn't work. Yeah. We're, we're, we're good. We're released. We don't have to, to worry about the tough stuff anymore that, mm -hmm. that this might involve. Mm -hmm. But so. just there's always that that um, voice, you know, she like as she talked about, the, there's that voice in the back of your head just that, you know, that still says this is where... I want you. This is where you need to be. We could still be confident through the whole thing that no matter how it turned out, we were being obedient. And so we just felt through that whole thing like just a blessing and a peace from the Lord about it. And so I think our relationship with Him has just really, really grown and strengthened through the whole thing because we've had to rely completely on our faith in God and um, and in learning to really listen to his voice mm -hmm. and also just to to surrender um, you know even if we're not really sure what he's telling us just to surrender and say whatever you're telling us whatever you want us for that's what we're going to do now I got a question why would they why would they answer a call like that the same reason that you pick up the phone when you pick it up. You look at caller ID and you see who's calling. It might be a telemarketer. It might be some strange number you don't know. You don't pick up the phone. But if it's someone you know, 
Someone you care about. See, here's the thing. We answer the call in direct proportion to how much we love the person calling. Because the call is to follow a person. What makes all the difference in the world is how much do you love the person making the call. If you don't know them, if your relationship to them is very casual, then you've got other stuff to worry about and good sense says worry about it. But if you are absolutely in love with the caller, you pick up the phone. And we'll see in a couple of weeks. A man named Saul fell absolutely in love with the caller. And everything was different. No more perch for the rest of his life. And here's what he would say in Philippians 3. All the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. No more cane poles for that man. He had fallen in love. And so, I'm going to pray over you that Jesus will be more precious to you. And Father, in Jesus' name I ask it now. There was a time like when we first began to date the person we may have married. Our love for Jesus was strong and growing. But it can get cold. And it can become distant. And for many of us now, Father, Jesus is a friend. But He's not the person we love the most. And we've grown comfortable saying, I'll, I'll take his call later. I've got more important things to do. So forgive us and renew in us, God, a passion for Jesus. To be so in love with him that anything he asks makes more sense than all the wisdom of the world. Give us a because you say so, I will heart. And Father, change us so the world can be changed. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I had the privilege last night, by the way, of uh, preaching a wedding. And it reminded me, as I saw these two precious young people so deeply in love of a Story I saw a few years ago in Reader's Digest, Melody Hartline works for a jewelry store. And her job when couples come in to buy their wedding rings is to engrave the cute little sayings they like inside the rings. She said this one couple comes in and she asks the fiancé, what would you like in his ring? And she says, you know, he's not very romantic. We're getting married on his birthday so he'll remember the date. (laughs) Well, what would you like me to put... Inside his ring. And she thinks for a moment and says, how about this? 
Put it back on. (laughs) Well, maybe. Well, maybe. One of the things God has been trying to say through this series to you is put the ring back on and fall back in love with the one who calls. And so we're going to sing a song. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to give you a chance if you have never been baptized into Jesus to come forward and do so. And I hope as we sing, you will all reflect. Are you the person getting a follow-up call? Because Jesus is calling. And this time, it's personal. Let's stand and sing.